The difference between managing sin and conquering sin is vigilance. And there's very, very, very few men you'll ever meet that are vigilantly pursuing purity. A father that's willing to give their children access to the internet, unfiltered, unmonitored, is doing no different than a father that starts their child early on drugs and alcohol. You're destroying them. Once I decided I was willing to die for it, I was never gonna ring that bell. It would kill me first. I wanted it that much. Welcome to the Fathers of Greatness podcast. We are creating a community of men, fathers, and husbands who are pursuing greatness and refusing average. It is up to us to change the future, and it starts at home. Welcome back to another episode of the Fathers of Greatness podcast. I am joined today by a first-time author, although I didn't believe that this was his first book because it was very, very well written. Uh, This book has really, really resonated with what I believe and what I'm pouring into my sons uh, in order to be free men, uh, successful men, men that are whole, that uh, are called to be to be great. So I know you guys listening are committed to the same thing. And pornography is a huge topic that has to be addressed if you want to be a father of greatness, a man of greatness. And so Jeremy Shelton is joining me today. He's the author of the book, Unmuzzled. I highly recommend you guys get that book as fast as you can. Uh, Whether or not you're struggling with pornography, every man, like the cover says, should read this book because it will allow you to understand uh, those that are going through it and how you can be a great parent to your son or daughter on this topic. So Jeremy, thank you for joining me here today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joseph. Honored to be here. Absolutely. So yeah, man, just walk me through how you decided to write this book uh, because like I said, man, it's it just nails it and it really addresses it the way it should. And so I was very impressed with reading it. So how and when did you think, I'm going to write a book? Yeah, so the catalyst to writing the book was in 2017. And I talk about that in chapter one. And the title of the chapter is called The NSX, and it's referring to a vehicle, an Acura NSX. And it's a vehicle I sold for one of my customers. And that guy, about a year and a half later, ended up in prison for possession and distribution of child pornography. And he was a Christian life group leader at his church, three little girls under the age of 10. And when that happened, it stirred something in me to finally stand up and start talking openly with men. Because that man sat in my office many times, and we had great theological discussions, but I never once asked him if he was struggling in any area of his life. So that's number one as far as what caused me to finally do it. The behind the scenes was I struggled with pornography for about 17 years of my life as a Christian, And I thought I was the only one because nobody talked about it, especially in my generation. And so when the NSX guy went to prison, I set out to start talking to men about it. And that led to me writing Unmuzzled. Wow. 
I love it. And so that man that you probably held in high regard and he looked like the model father, husband, man on the outside was choosing to allow his soul to sort of decay right over time from that addiction. And then you got to see where that leads, right? Because I don't think people realize that sin is designed to literally destroy you. And so that was your period of your life where you stopped pornography or was that the period of life where you decided to start speaking out about it? Start speaking out about it. You know, my struggle with sexual sin was pornography. And I was exposed at an early age and I struggled all the way up until the beginning part of our marriage as a believer. And it was that struggle that finally led me to go all in with the word of God. Because no, no matter what I tried at the time, and at the time, my, my go-tos were uh, Every Man's Battle by Steve Arterburn, which was a great book. But I read it and continued to struggle. Um, praying more, giving more, serving more was directives the church would give. Getting prayed over and getting the, the demons of hell cast out of you. And going through a deliverance was what the church would put forward. And I went through all of that, Joseph. But yet, I was still tempted. I still desired to look at a woman lustfully. Right. So I, I went down a path that's, that made me start saying things like, I must not really be a believer. I may not be one of God's sons. And so that led me to the Word of God. And it was in the Word of God where I discovered, wait a minute, I've never heard of the true biblical directives for purity. I've only heard what the church puts forward and pastors teach, which are nothing more than tactics. Because if you go to the Word of God, you'll see what the Bible says about sexual purity. And it's real simple directives. It's directives that our flesh doesn't want to obey but it's what the Word of God tells us to do. And I started to put those in place. And over several years, I started to look back and say, wait a minute, I haven't looked at, I didn't look at pornography the entire year. Wait a minute, now it's been two years. Wait a minute, I'm I'm becoming a vigilant madman for my purity. And the Word of God is what started to change me. Love it. And so the book came, uh, I would say the book came uh, probably seven years later when the NSX guy landed in my office. Sure. Yeah, that's great, man. And so talk to me about why is pornography, first of all, why is it a bad thing, right? Like people justify it. We know that they hide and justify it and they know down deep that it's wrong whether they're married or not, it's, it's artificial. It's not how God designed us to, to be sexually active. And so, but let's just cover that very kindergarten level concept of why is pornography harmful? Absolutely. Uh, Very simple answer. And if you're not a believer, it doesn't work. But if you are a believer in your creator who created you, The Word of God tells us it is against your own flesh. It's in 1 Corinthians 6.18. 
Every sin a man commits, he sins outside the body. He who sins sexually sins against his own flesh. And so right there in scripture, we're told specifically about sexual sin, that it's against our own flesh. The big thing right now in the not the secular and the Christian world is when they talk about sexual sin, they talk about how it affects our brain, how it damages our brain. And they've studied brain scans. They've studied medical tests that show that when a man's addicted to pornography and continues to consume it more and more, it's the same as him taking heroin and cocaine together. And it just damages their brain. And so they think, they think that they've made this massive discovery, like, oh my gosh, pornography is destroying your brain. And that is why you have to go deeper and deeper into it, because it's like a drug, and you need more and more to satisfy. And they've they've proven this with brain scans. If they just picked up the Word of God, they would see right. the Word of God already tells you, number one, it's against your flesh. Number two, the Word of God tells us sin never satisfies. In other words, you'll go deeper and deeper into it. And I would imagine that the the NSX customer that you had was so deep in this, this darkness, this sin, this addiction, that it led to child pornography. I mean, even him having his own children, he still was at the point where he was choosing to to view something that is just very, very dark. I don't know if you ever heard his full explanation or story, but doesn't that explain the road that this leads to in that man's life? That it starts with just what I call to my kids, I teach them that anything that's no big deal in the beginning that could lead you to sin is not no big deal right? That's what the enemy wants us to believe. It's just going to Hooters. It's just looking at girls on Instagram. They're not naked. It's no big deal. And so that man's life is an example of where it leads. And correct me if I'm wrong, but men that get to that point of actually looking at children uh, on the internet or even pursuing to engage with them physically, it starts with just innocent stuff, right? I mean, 100%, Joseph. The guy that sold the NSX that I sold it for is a 36-year-old, three little girls under 10. He was a leader in his church, grew up in the church, and he looked like you and me. And what you just said is 100% accurate, and it's 100% biblical. I mean, look at Ephesians 4.19, where it talks about callousness how we can become callous to our sins and our desires. And you think of, the only example I can think of when I think of calluses is my son's been learning to play the guitar and his teacher says he's got to develop his calluses. And that's it. Once you develop that, you can play better, you can play harder, you can play faster, you can play longer. Why? Because you can't feel it. When he first started playing, his fingers hurt. But over time, he can't feel it. It's nothing for him to strum those those strings. And so 25 years ago, or maybe even 15 or 20 years ago, 99% of humans above the age of 13 did not have smartphones. And so it did not become so accessible 
so normal and right. so reachable at the quantity too that people can view. So talk to me about the dangers early on, right? Because the people listening are fathers and of course they need to get this under control in their own life. But talk to me a little bit about the dangers of teenagers having access to the internet with no boundaries or protection. Yeah. You might as well give them an open cabinet with every liquor, every drug that that's on the planet. Because a father that's willing to give their children access to the internet, unfiltered, unmonitored, is doing no different than a father that starts their child early on drugs and alcohol. You're destroying them. And and I'm not just talking about spiritually. Remember, the Bible tells us that sexual sin is against our flesh. The same way cocaine is against your flesh. It destroys you. You know, The Sound of Freedom's out recently with Jim Caviezel. And you watch that, that movie, and it'll bring you to tears as a father. And you, and you ask yourself, how could a man get to that point where they're willing to buy a child as a sex toy? And, and you look at what sexual sin does to a, a young man like... Um, I wrote about him in the book, Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah, Ted Bundy. And you talked about his interview. And uh, yeah, share about that. That's powerful. Yeah, you look you look at a guy like Ted Bundy, who was raised in a Christian home, who kept just going deeper and deeper and deeper into sexual sin. It started with a Playboy magazine. I don't know if it was Playboy, but it started with a pornography magazine. And he got addicted to it and he kept going. And then one day he's in prison to be executed for the mass uh, killing and raping of over 30 women and children. And you can watch it today. I believe I watched it four or five years ago. You can Google Ted Bundy, James Dobson interview. And it's an interview at a state prison the night before he's to be executed. And he's interviewing with James Dobson at his request because he wanted to send the world a message. And the message was, it started with a simple magazine. And if you look at Ted Bundy, he looks like you and me. Right. He's just a normal dude. And so the, you talked about the dangers. Every single one of us can become just like that. We are capable of becoming that. And the Bible consistently warns us, stay away from this. It will destroy you. And I think of my NSX guy. At 36 years old, he went to prison for 60 years. His marriage was destroyed, and those three girls will probably never know their father. His life is destroyed. And it's all because of a simple addiction to opening up the internet or opening up a magazine in his, in his case, and no one ever coming alongside of him, showing him, what number one, what the Word of God says. If you're going to call yourself a believer, you better start reading the Word of God. But number two, no man came out a, a, around him and said, hey, are you struggling? Hey, are you looking at pornography? 
Hey, have you have you been faithful to your wife? Men don't ask those questions to other men, number one, because they can't. Because if you're in it, you can't ask those questions. And I call that being muzzled. When right. a man is in sexual sin or addicted to pornography or has a hidden affair, he can't boldly go up to another man and say, hey, are you looking at porn? Hey, are you being faithful to your wife? He can't do that. He doesn't have the, I call that biting. He doesn't have biting power to do that. And I think that's the number one reason why you can go into a church today of, let's let's use a mega church of 25,000 people. And you could go there for two years and not one single guy is going to ask you those questions. It's almost like you hire a personal trainer and you tell them that your goal is to lose 30 pounds and they're focusing on the weights and the treadmill and they never ask you what you eat, right? Hmm. It's like so simple and so important and so critical. It's almost proof that Satan has his grip on this item because it's like off limits. Yet it's the number one most dangerous thing that is decaying, like I said earlier, uh, men today. And we know we have a leadership problem in homes. We know we have a divorce problem. We know that we have children that are growing up not knowing their identity. And let's be honest, the men are called to lead the home. But if they're broken and addicted, that home is not going to have the environment to allow those kids to be who God's called them to be. So, man, I 100% agree with you. You know, the greatest analogy I've ever heard, nobody knows where it came from, is the fireplace analogy. Have you heard it? I have. You know, the fire in the fireplace is a beautiful thing. It's, it's awesome. Everything about it is just great. A fire outside a fireplace is very dangerous and destructive and unpredictable. And then you relate that to sex in a marriage bed is a beautiful thing. It is, a, it is the most in, intense, intimate uh, experiment we have on the earth. Outside a marriage bed, the Bible says it leads to death. Right. And so I think the number one reason that Christians struggle with sexual sin is, one, they haven't accepted the fact that they're designed to be sexual. And number two, they are unwilling or ignorant to the parameters around sex sure. from their creator. So for the men that are addicted to pornography, what from the, the men you've talked to or coached, what are the comments that you're hearing from them that allow them to keep going? In other words, they justify it. Yep. And they they become callous, like you said. They have what what I would call a seared conscience, to the fact that at first it feels so wrong and so bad, and you feel so gross and dirty, and you feel that because that's God's design is to have a conscience against right and wrong. But for some reason, because like you're saying, we are sexual creatures, they get into this artificial addiction of pornography, and essentially, if they keep going. They find a way to be comfortable with it. So yeah. what are the lies that men are telling themselves that allow them to continue? Yeah, well, you hit it first. You know, I would always start with 
they've become calloused to the severity of sin. They've become calloused to the blood of Jesus on the cross. You know, the blood of Jesus on the cross, uh, if you're going to say you accept that, you better pick up the word of God and start living it out and not just become a Christian, but also but be a Christ follower. And a Christ follower is Matthew 7, 14, a, a narrow, difficult way, a sacrificial way, a selfless way. You, when you become a believer, you no longer operate out of the flesh. You're supposed to operate out of the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way a man can pursue purity. Our flesh, back to us being sexual creatures, we we're 100% looking for sex as a fleshly man. But it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that is alerting us and saying, no, this will kill you. And so number one is over time, you become callous to the severity of the blood on the cross. Number two, it leads to it being normal. It's just, yeah, this is what guys do. You know, the the, the hardest guys I talk to are ex-military guys that went into the military at a young age and then came out or did a career because if you're not sexually uh, involved immorally in the military, they, they may kick you out. I mean, it's just a brotherhood. It's a thing. You can't escape it. It's it's in the locker room. It's in the bunkhouses. It's everywhere. And we've normalized that. Same thing with like you talk to a military guy and they've had that's a believer. They've had to really work on their language because military language is curse, 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 curse. And you become callous to it. And it's just how you communicate. You know, it becomes their English. Um, the other thing I would say on excuses or justifications, the grace card to believers, you know, mm-hmm. men who are Christians that are struggling with this or be like, ah, praise the Lord for God's grace, which is true because Old Testament, you go have an affair with another woman or you sleep with the woman that's not your wife, or you view pornography, the penalty pre-Jesus was death. And so there wasn't a lot of grace. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he said he said some pretty radical things, but I think it was to illustrate how severe we should take it versus actually doing it. But he said, pluck out your eye. If it causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut off your arm, your hand. I don't believe God, Jesus was being literal. We would hear stories of one-eyed and one-handed men right. if that was the case. Right. But I think he was illustrating how severe we're supposed to take it. Another thing I would say that you'll hear from men, including myself when I struggle, I'm not really hurting anybody. You know, what am I, who am I really hurting looking at pornography here and there? As a single college guy, I'm not, I mean, am I, is this really wrong? Well, you justify that enough times, you'll realize, ah, you know, God, God hasn't struck me dead. Right. So it, it, I guess maybe it's not that big a deal. And so it goes back to where we started with the word of God. The Bible tells us almost from Genesis to Revelation, this is against me, your creator, and it's against you. And that should be enough. So this should be treated like life and death. 
right? And so 100%. something that you first have to be aware that this addiction, which leads to, you know, worse and worse and worse and worse, ultimately to death, or in this, the case of the guy that you knew, uh, prison, um, divorce, affairs, you know, all these, these things that no common man would say he wants, right? We don't want the end result. Right. But it has to be treated, like you said, fire, uh, life and death, and the fact that you have a finger on the trigger when you're engaging in that. And it it will bring death at some point. So in order to have the right mindset toward pornography and to avoid it, you talk about some things in your book about some non-negotiables that you have. And you talked about not going to that car auction because they were going to have the Hooters girls there. And I really, really, really respect your standards around this. And the fact that even though you are free from this, you've written a book on it. So some people would say, you know, you're a, you're a living example and a, a, a model citizen toward uh, purity. And I think you are, but it's not because the man inside has changed or gone away. It's that your awareness is so strong to the danger that you've created these non-negotiables in your life and boundaries and guardrails so that you don't ever get back into it. So that's wisdom, right? And so tell me a little bit about what some of those standards are for you today. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the things that's helped me was over the course of about 15 years, somehow I sold three different vehicles to three different Navy SEALs, which just blew me away. I just can't help but think that's the providence of God that my little one-man shop in Texas somehow sells three trucks to three different Navy SEALs. I mean, these are the elite guys of, of the military. And I got the chance to know them. I still communicate with one of them. And I got to ask them the same question. And it was, so, you know, how'd you do it? You know, how'd you, how'd you become a SEAL? And in different ways, they all told me the same answer. And it was this. Once I decided I was willing to die for it, I was never going to ring that bell. It would kill me first. I wanted it that much. And that translated into helping me realize if I'm going to call myself a Christian and I'm going to act like a Christian, I better start actually being a Christ follower. And so I decided at that point, I needed to be willing to die for Christ. And at that point in my life, I wasn't. What if my wife and children were looking on, you know? And and in that, I realized God doesn't need me for my wife and children. He can sustain them. The whole world isn't going to collapse because something happens to me. And so I left that day with a, a mindset as a believer, I'm willing to die for Christ. And that translated into my pursuit of purity even more like this should be a cakewalk. I mean, we're just talking about one little area that I'm called to pursue purity. Uh, This isn't going to kill me. Right. And so I wanted to start with that because I don't think a lot of believers are there. Um, Once you get there, your pursuit of purity and following God's parameters for sexual purity 
are pretty simple. It's the same reason you don't, if you see a cop up ahead and you're going 100 miles an hour, you slow down because you believe if you pass that cop at 100 miles an hour, you're likely going to get pulled over. You may even go to prison. And so you believe that much. I believe that much that God calls us to purity, that I've become a vigilant madman and constantly aware of my surroundings to protect my purity. And you mentioned the the auction. When that lady called me and said, hey, we're offer, offering a new perk, you know, on, on our Tuesday auction, if you come 30 minutes early, the Hooters girls are going to be there serving lunch. I'll be honest with you. My flesh is like, oh, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like that's, I can't, be, I can't believe they're doing that. And then my justification was like, hey, it's free lunch. You know, I should, this, this is being a good steward. You know, I don't have to buy lunch. But instantly I knew Proverbs 6, 27 and 28 says, I am not designed to be able to withstand fire. Joseph, I think bottom line, men need to self-check themselves as believers and, and start believing the word of God that when it says we are not designed to withstand sexual temptation, we're instead instructed to stay away from it. And that, that sentence is very simple, but it's probably the most powerful part of unmuzzled. We are not designed to withstand sexual temptation. We are instructed to stay away from it. And so the first directive in the Bible when you study purity is stay away. And it's it's very simple. And it's a, it was a little discouraging when I discovered it. I'm like, wait a minute. I can't be healed? I mean, I just, you know, I had a, I had a, a buddy of mine lie to me who was in ministry and he said yeah i could stand in front of a naked supermodel it wouldn't phase me a bit because i'm i'm healed god has given me eyes for my wife only well that damaged me as a young man because i'm like god hasn't done that for me i'm still very tempted by that well that's just a lie because jesus was tempted when he walked the earth and so There's nowhere in the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, that says we'll ever be healed from temptation. And so the first directive is stay away from it. It'll burn you every time. Stay away from it. It will lead you to death. Proverbs 5.8, stay away from her doorstep. It's talking about the doorstep of a harlot, a temptress. Proverbs, again, 6.27 and 28, can a man take fire? Can he scoop fire into his chest and expect it not to burn him? Can he walk on hot coals and expect his feet not to be seared? It's talking about being near sexual temptation. So I think one of the things I would say is that men desire to be strong, right? We're built for strength. We're built to achieve. We're built to lead and be strong men. And so the mindset that somebody might have is I just need to be stronger. I need to be stronger mm-hmm. to, to resist that temptation. Like, like the guy that lied to you, total lie. Uh, I'm not strong enough. I'm weak. When really it comes down to not necessarily strength, but wisdom, 
wisdom yes. to stay away. So in the book, you talk about avoiding and fleeing. And what I think you're describing is situations that are in your control, meaning you don't go to the Hooters restaurant or you don't go to the place you know you're going to be tempted. But then we live in the real world and we go to the beach and we know that the standards for the way women dress are not very high. So, and I tell this to my boys all the time to have what I call bounce eyes. You know, the ability, you're going to see what you're going to see. We live in a world with what we live with. But talk to me about that difference between uh, fleeing and avoiding and why yeah. that's so powerful. It's a good, it's a good uh, picture, what, the way you described it. There's, they're staying away knowing that you're going to go into a venue full of temptation. If you know that up front, stay away. And then there's getting blindsided and having to flee. Fleeing is tough because your flesh is already drawn into it. I mean, you just show a guy a quick glance of an attractive woman, and he's all in. I mean, I'm talking a millisecond. You you see a woman jogging by ahead of you, and you don't know anything about the features of that woman other than there's a woman jogging right toward my car, and you're all in. And so the difference between managing sin and conquering sin is vigilance. And there's very, very, very few men you'll ever meet that are vigilantly vigilantly pursuing purity because vigilance tells you, turn, turn the car. Vigilance tells you, um, say something. I'll give you, I'll give you, I love to give examples of my life because I'm the most vigilant man I know in purity. Uh, for two reasons. One, it's the only way I stay clean. I can I can fall flat on my face in sexual sin an hour after this podcast, and I'm a guy who wrote a book about it and has been living, you know, porn-free for nine-plus years and never had an affair on my wife. I could fall flat on my face right after we end this podcast. That's how weak I am because the Bible says I'm that weak. So vigilance happens in my life all the time. The last one was at Costco. There was a woman and her daughter walking by, and the daughter was probably like 12 or 13. And she was dressed completely inappropriate. And I'm coming out of the aisle, and they're right in front of me. I'm and I'm like, oh my gosh, mainly because of her age. Like what a what a moronic mom. And a moronic father that's either absent or in the home. I don't know. But when I come out of the aisle, there's this older 70-ish year old man standing there staring right at the back of this girl. And I look at him and he looks at me and he gives me one of these. Wow. And smiles. Because I'm so against it and I'm so vigilant, but I didn't want to go to prison. I just rammed his basket and nearly knocked him over. I'm so thankful it didn't knock him over because he might have broke a hip or something. Right. And I said, you idiot. She's like 12 years old. And he smiles at me. And so I share that because 
I live my life every day being vigilantly against this, that when I see an injustice or I see another man that's struggling or, you know, doing something he shouldn't be, I call it out. You know, when somebody comes to me that's, you know, goes to my church and makes a sexual joke, I call it out immediately. I bite. I'm like, hey, man, when's the last time you looked at pornography? Oh, what? I was like, when's the last time? Oh, I, I don't know. Has it been a month? Has it been three months? I'm able to do that, one, because I'm walking in purity, but because I'm so vigilantly against sexual sin. Because I, we saw what it did in the Bible. You know, I mentioned that earlier. Look at the strong men of the Bible. What was their downfall? Sexual sin. Look at David. Right. Look at Solomon. I mean, Solomon is the greatest teacher our, the Bible gives us because he was the greatest failure. But Solomon gives us so much wisdom for sexual purity. But it was because he had so much failure. And then we go back to fatherhood. Who was his dad? Who was Solomon's dad? It was King David. Solomon is the second son of King David and Bathsheba. You want to talk about the sins of a father? I mean, Solomon sins sexually probably more than anybody in the history of the world. I don't know how many wives he had. I don't know. I don't know how many uh, he died with a harem of women worshiping Baal. I'll be shocked if Solomon's in heaven, honestly. Right. And so, so you're talking about fatherhood and the sins of a father, and then a lot of times the same sins as children. And so I had a really strong, uh, epiphany a few nights ago when I was finishing up your book, my wife and I were both out on the patio reading two different books and they were literally talking about the exact same spiritual concept at the same time. And I doubt you've ever met Craig Hill, but he's an author and has a ministry and something that I've only learned in the last year. I mean, I've, I've kind of believed it, but I, haven't really understood it biblically or spiritually. But in other words, you talk about it in your book. You talk about the fact that when you as a father, who is the gatekeeper and leader of your home, is living in sin, living in addiction, living in lust, pornography, affairs, whatever it is, that is an open door. And I don't care if you're a Christian or not, if you're an atheist, I don't, it doesn't really matter because truth is truth. When you are in that sin and addiction as a father, you open the door. The Bible even talks about how Satan needs permission to go after certain people. And so mm-hmm. the father living in sexual sin opens the door for the enemy to attack his family. Yes. And so 99% of men would say, I'll protect my family at all costs. If my house sets on fire, I will burn every ounce of my body if I have to, to get my daughter, my son, and my wife out of that home and into safety. But if we were really brutally honest, like you talked about earlier, you would die for Christ. You would die for your family. The question is, will you live for them? And will you live free? And so Mm -hmm. can you talk to me about, this is a, 
unseen. I mean, people would, most people would be able to name, you know, two or three disadvantages of pornography addiction. But that's a really, really deep thing to digest. To think about the fact that 10 or 20 years from now, your child might be dealing with something very, very dark, very painful, very toxic. Maybe they brought it on themselves and maybe they didn't. But there is a spiritual battle going on that we don't see in the natural. The Bible talks about that. So talk to me about the danger of if the father's listening, do not get the healing that they need, create the new habits and parameters to stay out of sexual impurity and how that can affect their family. Yeah. It's an epidemic. You know, I use Matthew 12, 29 in the book and it says this, how can you enter a strong man's home and take everything he has unless you first bind up the strong man? Wow. Then you can take everything. I believe Satan has adopted that scripture as his life goal because God put man as the head of the home. And he said, you are the spiritual head. Men who decide to get married, who decide to have children are now accountable Mm. for their wives and their children. We will one day face our creator and we will be held accountable for our home. The Bible tells us that. And I believe Satan, that's his, that's his entry point. If he can bind up the strong man, he can take everything. Also relate it to a dormant disease. Because men, men can hide sexual sin. Nobody knows. There's pastors all over the world that are looking at pornography. There's pastors all over the world that have abused children. There's pastors all over the world that have hidden affairs. And nobody can see it. It's like a dormant disease inside of them that one day activates and devastation happens. A good example of this is Robbie Zacharias. And if you don't know who that is, if your listeners don't know who it is, I highly encourage them to to look him up. He was a phenomenal um, apologist. He had a worldwide ministry. He died a couple years ago. Uh, a worldwide ministry. If you looked at the the value of ministries, his was at the top as far as how large it was. I think he died of some he died of some sort of cancer in his seventies, and then it was found out after he died that he had massive sexual sin in his life. Wow! And nobody knew about it. I mean. You, I could mention names that they set on this guy's board. I mean, this guy was like a Billy Graham of our time. I don't know. I don't want to say it was a billion dollar ministry, but it was incredible. Wow. And he had women all over the world that he housed, paid tuition for. It was reported that he co-owned a massage parlor for medical purposes. Right. And so, and this guy preached the word of God in some of the biggest churches around the world up until his death. And before he died, I had quoted him in my book before all this came out. And when I did a revision uh, about three months ago, uh, I left it in there. I was going to take it out because his name is just 
tarnished in the Christian community. But here is what I quoted Ravi Zacharias. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Ravi Zacharias. He he was living that when he said that. Wow. I would imagine that there was spiritual effects in his family that trickled down, right? And so that was kind of the topic is talking about how as men, we say we love our wives. We say we love our kids. We say we would die for them. We would do anything for them. If they're drowning in a river, we wouldn't even think twice. We would jump in. We would paddle, we would kick, we would do anything and everything we could to save or protect or provide for our children. You know, I've had periods in my life where I had three jobs and I didn't ever mind working because I knew why I was working, right? Right. And so as men, we have this instinct to provide and protect. And those are great things to be, you know, obviously for fatherhood. But we were talking about the spiritual doors that you open and the fact that if you believe God is real, you better believe that Satan is real. You can call him Satan. You can call him the devil. You can call him the enemy. You can call him whatever you want. Darkness. That's right. But you have to understand that there's a spiritual dynamic in our life. You have to understand that. And what I've learned recently is that when you're living in sexual sin as the father, Like you said, you said, if you want to go into a home and destroy that home and take everything, every person, every valuable, you have to first bind the strong man. And so talk to me about how powerful that is, that if we truly love our children and want to lead them into greatness and purity and freedom, the father has to be whole. Yes. I use the bind in my book as I I label it a muzzle. And and you could say that Satan muzzles men and the muzzles for the same three reasons you'd muzzle a dog. Uh, You'd muzzle a dog for three reasons. One, to prevent barking. Two, to prevent biting. And three, sometimes you muzzle a dog to prevent it from eating. Either it's going in for a procedure or it's eating too much. So sometimes you would muzzle a dog so it doesn't eat. Satan uses those same three strategies. And the barking, he shuts them up spiritually as the spiritual leader of your home. I'll I'll admit to you, when I struggled with pornography, it was very difficult and uncomfortable when my wife would say, hey, pray, let's pray for this. Mm. Hey, let's pray for if this is the house we're supposed to buy, let's pray that God would bless it. Oh, you talk about just gut-wrenching. Here I am trying to talk to my creator who I am completely disobeying. I'm I'm in sin and I'm asking God to bless me. Listen to the way men pray today when they're asked to pray and you can almost easily identify if they're in sin because it's the most passive prayer you'll ever hear. And so men cannot bark. They can't praise the Lord. They can't sing to the Lord. They can't worship the Lord. They can't give thanks to the Lord. When you're muzzled, you just ignore it. It's like you cut off your communication with God. Number two, biting. I referenced this earlier. 
you can't call out sin on others. And inviting may seem harsh, but when somebody comes to me and I sense, okay, this guy's a believer, he's living a great life, but he's the most passive man I've ever met. Are you looking at pornography? That's the bite. Sure. They're like, what? What did you ask me? It's, It's fun to do it with a pastor. Hey, I know you're a pastor of this church, but when's the last time you looked at pornography? It's a bite. And I I, I, I uh, illustrate this in the book with a, if you got a papa bear and he sees his cub out playing in the, the field and he sees a wolf closing in, that papa bear does not just sit there or or howl at his son. He takes off and what does he do? He bites onto his son and carries him away to safety. Wow. He grabs hold of his son and takes him away from that wolf. If that papa bear is muzzled, there's nothing he can do. Wow. And men are being devoured all the time because no one's biting. No one's grabbing a hold of him. The NSX guy, if he had sat in my office, I'd have taken, I, I build the story in the book so you have to read it so I don't have to share the details. But I, I found a CD in his car that had the most explicit music you can imagine hearing. And I held that CD in my hand and I thought, wait a minute. This guy's a father of three, a leader at his church, and he's listening to the most just garbage music. Like, I couldn't listen to that and call myself a Christian. Right. I should have taken that CD, met him for coffee, put it in front of him and say, hey, tell me about this. Right. How do you do that? What's going on in your life? Are you struggling? I wonder to this day if I'd have done that with him, if he'd be in prison. Or was it was it too late? Was it a coincidence that God had him come to my business? Was it a coincidence that that CD was playing in that car when I got in the car to photograph it? Is it all just a coincidence or is, or is God sovereign over all things and we are actually called to be the hands and feet of Christ? We're actually called to, to stand with another brother, see how they're doing. And so we look at what it is to be a friend and (laughs) man, uh, statistically, let's say you have, you know, 20 friends and I have 20 friends I could mention, let's say they're men and they're fathers. Statistically of those 20 men, how many are struggling? How many are, yeah, they're in bondage. They're drowning. They're being, uh, tied up, muzzled and limited and it affects the whole family and so if you are a true friend right you use the word brother and i love that because that's that's a more applicable word we need to have these conversations with those we care about yes we have to because like you said maybe we can catch it early enough maybe they can find the healing that they need and that's that's why we're on this podcast right is for those listening to wake up and so when you do so i love that you ask men about this and you just bite right you put it out on the table you're not uncomfortable doing it you do it as a habit now and i absolutely love that you're basically throwing like a uh life raft 
out, yeah. you know, for, for those that want to get out of it, which I think would be most, uh, you're offering them the chance to do that by yes. just asking the power of a question is incredible. It's incredible. Yes. And so when you ask that and a man says, wow, surprised you asked that, but yeah, I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm living in hidden sin. My wife doesn't know, but I engage in pornography and it's been a struggle of mine for years. What do you do next with a guy like that? That wants yeah. to change. He's a good guy. He's got a good heart, loves his family, provides for his family. He's he's a good guy, right? On the yeah. on the outside, but on the inside, he's struggling. How do you walk yeah. him through healing? Yeah. Well, I've had to learn over the last five years. Cause at first, every time I had a guy that said, Yeah, I'm struggling, you know, I just took him in. You know, I'd rearrange my schedule and hey, anytime you want to meet, call me anytime. Well, that got overwhelming mainly because they continued to struggle. And I didn't get that. I'd walk with guys for three months, six months, a year. And yeah, I fell again. I said, man, I'm not your accountability partner. Why are you falling? Hey, don't get, don't get so hard on me. And I realized that I can't help everybody. And I also realized that you really have to want this. You really have to want it. And you really have to be a true believer. So I started to realize the Bible is true. Matthew 7, 14, narrow is the way, difficult is the way, and few people find it. And so now, if I encounter guys struggling, I give, I say, hey, if you'll read this book, um, I'm not saying it's a solution, but number one, you'll get to see what the Bible says. This is like the cliff notes to sexual purity of the Bible. And number two, you'll hear my heart and you'll know my story. If you'll read this book, I'll buy you lunch as long as it takes for you to get through this. Joseph, few people make it to that point. Now, I meet with about two guys a week on a consistent, not the same two guys, usually different guys. Before that, it was 10, 15, 20 guys I was trying to meet with every week. But now I make them read the book. Right. I make them read the book for those two reasons. And then I walk with them. And unfortunately, the dicey thing in the church today, the Western culture, culture church, is the confession of sin is a question mark. You'll get one side of the church saying, yes, you must confess your sin to your spouse. If you've had an affair, you're struggling with pornography or whatever, you need to confess that to your spouse. There's another side of the church that says, no. Do not confess that. So there's a debate. And the debate is because there's not a scripture in the word of God that says you must confess your sin to your spouse. It just says you must confess to one another. And so men have taken a technicality in the, the word of God as an excuse not to confess their spouse. But if you look at the entire character of the word of God, if you look at God himself, Jesus Everything points that you should confess to your spouse. It's the only covenant we have with with anybody but God. We have a right. covenant with our with the Lord. We have a covenant with the with our wife. Why would you not confess to her? Right. And so that should not be a debate in the church today, but it's a huge debate and it's just growing. The reason it's growing is because men have been carrying hidden sin for 20, 30 years, and to confess it now would be devastation. I mean, think about this. 
if you got a 75-year-old married couple that's been married for 50 years, and the husband had three affairs and he never told his wife about them. And, and maybe he had it when in his in his you know heathen years, and now he's now he's a pastor. How do you tell that guy to go back and confess? There's only one way you can have the boldness and audacity to do that. You're willing to die for Christ, and he should be too. Right. It could cause massive destruction in his life. But there's nowhere in the Word of God that says, don't confess your sin if the consequence is too great. Right. But somehow Christians are able to justify that. And I have actually been ridiculed and told that I'm a false teacher by telling men that they must confess to their wives. It's got to be all in. And the if you've learned to justify this sin and then you do confess or repent, you're a trained justifier. We all are. So now you're going to build a new case in your mind that it's the two evils. And well, I can't do that because fill in the blank. And you can actually, you know, twist it into I'm doing the right thing by not confessing. Here's the supernatural side of that. Been in situations that have stuff they need to confess that could cause absolute devastation change the course of their spouse's lives or their children's lives. I I don't envy that. But the supernatural God that can intervene in that situation is, is what they are squeezing out. They're not trusting that God could do an absolute miracle. And so all of a sudden you're jumping off a cliff when you have to confess to your spouse pornography or maybe you've had maybe you've gone deeper and that had an affair or maybe you've done something that you may get put in prison for that's where it comes down to you have to be willing to die that's where the freedom willing comes to die for it. yeah and, and so, god can do a work in that right right i mean he did with you you know that's why we're sitting here is that if you were still addicted you would be muzzled and that book right. wouldn't exist so we have to get free of this and everybody i've interviewed agrees so Amen. man it's it's it is life or death it's black and white it's all or nothing and so one more time give us a few tips on those that want to live pure and they don't want to fall into this temptation or this addiction give us a few boundaries or parameters that you recommend setting up in your life so that you're not in that situation. Yeah. Let me let me start with the last directive of of the Bible for sexual purity. We talked about barking, talked about biting, eating. When you're muzzled, you can't eat. And I relate that to eating from the word of God. Letting the word of God be your sustenance. When I, when I looked at pornography and went to church the next week, I did not feel like studying the Bible. I did not do what my pastor said and said, go home. I want you to read the Bible all every day that week. I couldn't. I couldn't pick up the word of God and eat from it. And so that is our sustenance. That's the only thing we have on this earth from our creator is his word. And if you can't pick it up and ingest it, you are going to live on fumes. You're going to live out of your flesh. Oh. So tips 
or um, ideas. I don't like to use the word tips, strategies, or tactics. I like to say biblical directives. And the three biblical directives, we've touched on a couple of them. If you read Genesis to Revelation, and says, hey, how do I stay pure sexually? The first directive is stay away. We talked about that one. The second directive most Christians know, because it's talked about, is flee. Flee sexual immorality. We use the example of Joseph fleeing out of his uh, of his garments when uh, Potiphar's wife tried to entice him. He like ran out of his clothes. She had them in her hands. That's how serious we have to flee. That's how quick we have to flee. Sure. And the third directive is escape. And I use escape from 1 Corinthians. It says, flee sexual immorality. And it says, no temptation can take you down. No temptation can be created on this earth that's old or new and take you down. But if a temptation comes that's too much for you to bear, God will give you an escape. And you don't hear that talked about a lot today because we don't know it. It's a supernatural intervention from God. And so I started looking at my life and realizing I think there's been times where God was trying to give me a way out. Like the door was closed, like the internet froze, or my mom called me when I was in college and said, Hey, are you okay? And I was sitting there looking at pornography. Hey, are you going to church? Are you going to the youth, the college group? Started asking me, Christian, as I'm looking, I'm like, Okay, this is it a coincidence? I don't know. You know, I talk about once I was going to. Uh, click on some stuff and the doorbell rang. It was past midnight at my house. Nobody was there. I'm pretty convinced God rang my doorbell that night. Right. And so staying away is our first directive and it's our greatest chance for purity. If you don't stay away, you have to flee. And I liken a lot fleeings like trying to run out of quicksand. Right. Your flesh is inflamed. You right. walk into you walk into a strip club and you're like, uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't be here. And you're sitting there staring at, you know, half-naked women. I should probably leave. Y- you might be able to do it. Most guys are gonna dilly-dally around or f- figure out a justification, especially Christians. Well, maybe God wants me to talk to somebody here. But when you do leave, your flesh is already inflamed. Right. And you carry that with you. Yeah, it's just, it's wisdom. It's uh, don't put yourself in that position. And being very, very clear on what your non-negotiables are around that, whether it's internet use or having, you know, software that that blocks explicit. And you talk about that in your book and how those aren't cure-alls, right? Those are not. Correct. If you want sin and you're addicted, you're going to find it. I mean. The guy on the street addicted to heroin, you know, he can find 20 bucks within an hour, like clockwork, right. because that's yeah. that's how we're designed once it's that far. So how old are your uh, children? You have five children. Yeah, my oldest is 14. I had, he's a boy, daughter 12, daughter 8, daughter 5, and son 4. I love it. So you got the two boys to protect the girls in the middle. That's right. 
Right on. We're in the weeds. Yeah. So I have a 13 and 15 year old boy. I have 11 and seven as well, but your son falls right in line with my oldest two. So can you give us some guidance on how we should be talking to our, to our sons about God's design for sex, the dangers of pornography and that whole topic? Yeah. Well, you nailed it right there. We have to teach them God's design for sex, God's purpose for sex. We have to tell our children right off the bat, ideally before they know anything about sex, what it is, who created it, and and what it's for. And we have to give them the uh, the picture of it. It's a beautiful, created, supernatural gift from God that's unexplainable. And I think that's such a valuable gift to give to uh, a son or a daughter because it sets the foundation. I didn't have that. You know, I first learned about sex from a Hustler magazine. And when I first saw it, and maybe you identify with this, but I was eight or nine years old. It was the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen in my life at that point. I opened up right. the magazine. I see that. I'm like, what? what is that? What, why would they do that? And that was my foundation. If you can teach a child that the foundation is a beautiful gift from God, it's for his, his purpose, and, our, and he gives it to us for pleasure, for procreation, for unity with our spouse. And that's, that's the only, the only uh, venue we can have it with for the rest of our lives. It sets a foundation. Love it. So if you can just start with the simple things uh, of what God created it for, it's, uh, if you don't have a foundation for sex, you're going to fall. Absolutely. And you're going to get, you're going to get in muddy waters. But like my son's 14, he didn't know what sex was until he was 12. And the only reason he found out when he was 12 is because I decided, okay, I think it's time to at least tell him. Sure. And I only told him the procreation part. It wasn't until he was 13 and a half that I told him the pleasure part. And so I'm looking at a 14-year-old boy now that has never seen pornography. Praise the Lord. Right. That's just a gift from the Lord. It's not because I'm gotten buried in a, a vault somewhere. That's just the Lord's covering. But when he does hear about homosexuality, transgenderism, um, voyeurism, fornication. He's instead of him going, you know, hmm, maybe I should Curious. look into this pornography sure. stuff. Sure. He he more sees Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Wide is the gate, and most of the world is going to go that way, choose those things, and narrow is the path that leads to life. And so oh, when man. when I introduced him to this homosexual couple that lived on our old street, and I told him, you know, this is what's going on. And he saw them walking across to a neighbor's house carrying some wine. Like, I think it was July 4th, or maybe it was New Year's Day. This was years ago. He said, I bet they're going to a wide gate party, Dad. And and I almost, you know, bawled like a baby sitting there on the porch with them, that he was able to see that. Man, um, our kids can understand so much more than we give them credit for. And as parents, we avoid these conversations thinking that they're going to be awkward or weird or, or our kids aren't going to like us or 
that's just all lies, right? Like you say, mm-hmm. if you if you're living unmuzzled, you have to bark, you have to bite, and you have to eat, and it all starts at home. I mean, really, it starts from the father getting freedom, living in freedom, and then you can confidently and and with wisdom you can have those conversations with your kids. Yes. And man, I guarantee you, they're going to be so grateful 10 years from now. They say that kids always remember their first uh, explanation of what that is. And mm-hmm. much like you remember yours and and sex needs to be talked about to kids from the parents. Yes. Otherwise, they're going to learn it at school. They're going to learn it from a neighbor kid who's got unlimited access to a smartphone or whatever it is. And talk to me real briefly about the standards you have in your home when it comes to access to the internet for your kids. Yeah, it's good. Well, I do talk about in the book, like software protection is not a solution. Accountability is not a solution. Praying more, giving more is not a solution. And so I kind of knock software protection away in the book. I'm not against it though. We have software protection in our home because of our children. I think men use software protection as a crutch. Um, the the waves of this world is not convenient for a righteous man. I don't get to do a lot of techie stuff or spend a lot of time on the internet because I know if I do, I'm going to see something. I don't have software protection on my office computer sitting here now. But I can tell you in nine years, I've been porn free. I haven't, I haven't seen anything on that computer. But in the home, our children don't know that. Our children don't know that if you type in a great example, uh, Minecraft, the game, there was a there was a cheat or a code that you could use years ago where you could play Steve, I think his name is. It's that little builder in Minecraft. You could hack the game and you could play him in his whitey tidies. And so there was this kid, I think he was eight or nine years old, Focus on the Family ran this story, and he Googled Steve underwear. And that led him to gay pornography. And over the summer, he started looking at gay pornography. And then when school started back up, he was getting on the bus and he went to throw his phone to his mom because he had it in his pocket and he forgot. He said, oh, mom, I have my phone. And he threw it to her. And then he got on the bus Well, the mom at that point started flipping through the phone. And guess what she found? A bunch right. of gay pornography. And this they got him counseling. And the, the eight or nine-year-old boy said, I'm gay. You just need to accept that. Wow. And they're like, why do you think you're gay? Because I like looking at it is what wow. he gave them. They're finding out that whatever a child is first exposed to, if he's exposed to straight pornography, he'll lean that way. If he's exposed to gay pornography, he'll lean that way. Wow. That's interesting. I think that's a tactic of the enemy. Absolutely. Uh, And so, but anyways, that's a little off point. Um, We use software protection at the home. Uh, Everything is filtered. And we, we, not only do we use software protection, and I'm not a techie guy, but my wife has got this router that's a separate router that filters things before they even come into the house sure so that's the best technological yeah. way i can explain it yeah but also but, 
you're educating your son and other children, but especially him being the oldest, you're educating him on, you know, God's design for sex and how yes. any, anything outside of that is, you know, going to ruin what God designed. And yeah. having that knowledge is huge because a lot of kids grew up with just don't do that, do this, don't do that, sit down, shut up. A yes. lot of parents don't coach their children. They don't guide their children. And like you said earlier, it's because they're probably not living it themselves. Correct. So, so important for us to, to get to that level that we can confidently lead our families. And it just comes down to living by example. And it sounds so easy and cliche, but it's a yeah. complete life commitment, man. It never ends. And so Joseph, I heard, I heard a story years ago. I think it's fitting right here to help men that are listening that that think their little struggle here and there isn't really doing anything to their kids. And it was a story of a girl and her boyfriend that were found on the side of the road dead after a major car accident. And the dad of the daughter was called to identify him. And so he he went out, identified that it was his daughter, and went on a rage to find out who sold them alcohol because their their alcohol level was off the charts. And he he said, I want to find the store that sold them alcohol. And so they opened this investigation that night. He went home and went to get a drink out of his liquor cabinet and the lock was broke and it was dead empty. And the end of that article or that video, it said this, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Wow. And to the guy listening that thinks his little struggle at, maybe he's not even looking at porn, but maybe he's lusting after women who are not his wife and he's not hurting anybody. That's the guy I'm speaking to. That will muzzle you. That will prevent you from talking to your son or your daughter about purity. That will prevent you from turning off a show that you shouldn't watch, that your children are watching. That will 100% decapitate you from being the spiritual leader of your home. And one day can wreak havoc in your children's life. And the the most severe news of that is you're going to be accountable for that. Wow. Man, I don't know how else to say it other than that. That is powerful. And so... For those listening, I wouldn't recommend just ordering one of these books. I would recommend ordering a dozen because we all know men, right? Whether it's your father, your uncle, your brother, your cousin, your neighbor, uh, the men that you care about, even if you're not struggling and you are living in freedom, you have to read this book and get it in the hands of those around you. This has Joseph, to be talked I'll, about. I'll, I'll add to that. If you're listening and you can't afford the book, send me an email. Go to bite at unmuzzledmen.com. Bite at unmuzzledmen.com. Send me your name and address. I'll mail you a free copy. Love it. I'm not trying to sell books here. So if you can't afford it, or or even you're a young, a young man and you don't you don't want to order this book because maybe it's on your Amazon, your parents' Amazon account, and you're not ready to, to talk to them about it. Email buy at unmuzzledmen.com. Love it. 
Man, this was so powerful, Jeremy. I really appreciate you, right? Stepping up, falling in line with the calling God has in your life, becoming a leader and a voice for freedom, for purity, for doing, uh, you know, things God's way. It's God Amen. wants us free, right? God doesn't want us in bondage. God's trying to allow men to be the leaders he's designed us to be so we can Amen. continue uh, pouring into our community, our kids, and it just all starts with us as fathers. So you're doing that, man. And I just really applaud you and uh, respect you for doing that. I thank you for it. And uh, the book has been very impactful for me. My boys will both be reading it. And I just want to say a big thank you. Absolutely. Honored to be sitting here talking to you. You have a website or anything that our listeners should should know about to find you or your content? Yeah, the best way to buy the book is just on Amazon. Okay. Um, that's the quickest way. It's just in paperback right now. We just updated it. So it's a great time to get it. It was updated about three months ago, but it is only on paperback. But I will say this, the paperback is the way to read this book. You're talking to a guy who did not like to read uh, when I was young, did not like to read when I was in college, and still don't really like to read unless it's a really good book. So I wrote a book that I would want to read. And so the chapters are really small. And what I like most about the paperback is there's a lot of pull quotes. In fact, every time I interview or talk to somebody, I get the book and I flip through it and I read the, the pull quotes. And they just ignite me. And so I highly recommend the paperback. Got it. Love it. But so Amazon there you go. is the best way to go get it. Yeah, gentlemen, that is a very powerful resource for you, for anyone you know that's that's struggling. And the funny thing is we, we usually don't know who's struggling. But statistically, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of men struggling. It's a very hidden sin that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be talked about. And I'm going to start asking my close friends if they're struggling, because if you love somebody, you will help them. And this could be the help that they desperately want and need. And it's up to us to speak up and bark in the sense of uh, what you explained. So get the book, Unmuzzled by J.S. Shelton. Jeremy, I can't thank you enough, man. I uh, really enjoyed our time together today. So did I. Thanks, Joseph. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Fathers of Greatness podcast. If this has inspired you, please be sure to share it with three to five people. Until next time, thanks for listening.